How's it going, Odd People? You are listening to the Odd People Podcast, and I am your host, Matt the Cat. Today is episode number 63, and in this episode, I'll be talking to Vincent DeSanti, creator of Womp Stomp Films and the Never Hike Alone series. I hope you enjoy the show. I have with me today, all the way from California, <laughs> uh, Mr. Vincent DeSanti. Hey, Vinny, how you doing? Good. How you doing, Matt? It's good to see you. It's good to see you. I'm, uh, I'm good. So can you tell the listeners uh, who you are and uh, what it is you do? Yeah. Uh, my name is Vincent DeSanti. I run a small production company out here in Los Angeles, California called Womp Stomp Films. Uh, we create independent horror films. Uh, the one we're most well known for is something called Never Hike Alone, a Friday the 13th fan film, uh, which we released in 2017. It debuted at the uh, Telluride Horror Show as an opening night selection. Um, we didn't know that we would get in at the time. Fan films were really sort of uh, passe like people didn't really give them a chance and over the course of like two years of, of working on it in between my my full-time job at the time which was animation we created this hour-long youtube movie that uh has since given us enough steam to continue that series make other independent horror films uh, i launched my career into live action entertainment so i was working in animation like i said um but wanted to step over into the live action element so I could learn this side of the business. And I've been doing that ever since working as a first AD, working as a, you know, even as a production assistant on larger productions, um, you know, to get into unions and things like that. It's like 600 days. Um, so oh, starting wow. that late in life after you've already sort of worked your way up is, is sort of a step backwards, but at the same time, it's been a big educational experience for me as I'm also growing a company, which does the same thing. So um, I sort of had the opportunities with Womp Stomp to, go out, create our own projects. We just did one uh, called Pathosis that came out uh, a couple years ago um, that did that its tour and it's just finishing now. Uh, we're completing one up right now called Judy, uh, yeah. which is directed by Renee Rivas is another one that we produced. Um, we have some more productions coming out, uh, another Never Hike Alone coming out. We released Never Hike in the Snow um, yeah. and lots of other things in the pipeline. Uh, so it's sort of been a cool... Um, rise to this starting with about five people in the company um, which was just friends that we hung out on the weekend and now we reach out to about 75 to 100 people uh possibly per project or even as low as like 25 to 50 depending on uh how, how big it goes wow that's awesome so was never hike alone your first you know um your first film that you made that kind of got that kind of exposure where you were like touring with it and it was showing in uh you know big places oh yeah no that was like that was a big um that was a big step up for me as, as a filmmaker and as a director uh prior to that i had worked on films that got released all over the world um yeah my first big movie was um free birds which was okay. about two turkeys that discover a time machine and go back to the first thanksgiving to take turkey off the menu release in like <laughs> i think 2011 2012 yeah. uh woody harrelson owen wilson i worked on that movie for three years as a as a story coordinator as an editorial coordinator a director's assistant um that's really where after college 
Um, that was like my entry job. Um, I worked as right. a production assistant in uh, commercials in at Digital Domain. I worked on Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Um, okay. But as a PA, I was getting Chinese food and coffee and I was inputting <laughs> shot data and I was just looking at the machine and all its wonder. And eventually when I worked my way up to coordinator, it was on this, this job and working with story artists and editorial uh, folks. So like the editors and the assistant editors, um, art departments, directors, writers, it was sort of my uh, postgraduate education. It was my on the job right. learning. It was seeing how they took that single line the two turkeys discover a time machine and turn that into an hour and a half of entertainment because there yeah. was no other idea really on the table other than that two turkeys will steal a time machine <laughs> and they will go back to the first thanksgiving and they will try to take turkey off the menu yeah but that's all they had and so it was we yeah. watched it i worked with some brilliant people and i just took that as like a group mentorship everybody sort of mentored me in different ways yeah, um, yeah, yeah. that carried on to my next project rock dog it was the same thing with a much smaller crew we were able to do an animated film um for much less than than they usually are and we're pretty proud of it i mean we got a really great cast luke wilson jk simmons um, sam elliott does the voiceover for like the narration i mean when you get sam elliott oh, yeah. doing narration you, you're you're doing pretty good for your movie um, yeah, I'd say so. And that was a great, <laughs> yeah, and, and that was a great experience. And then we, st I was working on another project that ended up coming out called Duck Duck Goose. Um, but prior to that, I was working on a project called QQ Speed, which was my own movie. I was producing mm -hmm. it through the company. Um, and unfortunately, and it happens, like not all animated projects go through. And there was a situation yeah. in which um, sometimes, you know, creative changes too much. And you say, hey, you've run out of budget. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you can't keep making changes um, because there is no more money to pay the people to make the changes. So you can either pay more money and keep going, <laughs> or you can just take it back and you can develop it and spend your own money to do it on your own. If you don't want to kind of go through our Avenue. And it's sort of like, in a way we helped people sort of transition out of a project that probably wasn't going to get the funding, get them the work that they needed to do, like save the company from taking on any extra cost of saying like, you know, there's a few years ago, there was a film called Life of Pi. You remember that movie, right? Yeah. 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 I remember it. Yep. So that won an Oscar and everybody raved about it, but the company that created the tiger went out of business. They went bankrupt because really? instead of getting the money up front for the work that they had to do to make the tiger look the way it looked they took on and this happened a lot in the industry in the vfx industry at the time is that studios order more work and then you give them sort of it's called uh, overages so it's overages yeah. charges so they just say oh we'll pay you back when the movie makes money and then the then hollywood book work and they go well the movie didn't make money actually like we ended up losing money on this movie that made 900 million dollars we still lost money on it wow. so you're not getting paid so you're coming company has to pay for that work but they say hey the exposure you worked on a you know that's yeah. going to get you more work so just go get more work and you can pay your bills and so after a time it's like that could take down a studio and we were yeah. sort of all sensitive to that at the time i went to right, my right, boss right. and i was like i think this is a situation where we don't want to pay for this because we have a project that we're working on that needs the funding for this project so why don't we dissolve this and so i went over and i started working on that project um but that's when i was like i think i need to go make my own movie <laughs> Like, I was so frustrated with uh, yeah. being in production and sort of um, like being right there with the creative and having creative input. But sometimes it was like, oh, Vin, we'll take your creative input, but you're still 
the producer, you're still production. So yeah, like you were not going to transition you over to creative. There is no like sort of path to creative for you. You were going to keep going you down the production line. And I realized that if I didn't get out, I would turn around 10 years from then and go, I never made a movie. Right, I made right, other right. people's movies and that's great, yeah, but I never went of told... other people's work. <laughs> yeah. And that's fine. And, and like, that's yeah. what producers love to do. But at the same time, I had a dream to like make my own thing and I was trying to do it on the weekends and it was really tough. You know, we started never hike alone where I was working, you know, you know, we get in the office at like eight 30 in the morning and leave at like eight at night and then come home and work. And then on the weekends, you know, on Friday, we'd have a van ready to go. We'd all get yeah. in the van, drive up to over the weekend, shoot some of the movie, come back. And it was brutal. You know, we were working seven yeah. days a week at that point. Um, and, you know, at that point I was like, you know what, I think it's time for me to step away. I think I came yeah. out here. I wanted to work on live action sets. I haven't done that yet. I, um, I'm doing this. I'm, it's really great. But if I get lost in this track like i will be in this and this will just be it and i gotta i gotta leave now and so like i ended up quitting um and started working in live action just to sort of get the, the hang of it made never hike alone in between and it was yeah. sort of like it was a big it was, and it made all the difference so was the horror uh genre always what you had in mind when you say live action were you were you always thinking of horror movies I mean, have you always been like a horror movie, you know, yeah. aficionado? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, we, you know, where we grew up, like the lake, like the woods, <laughs> like it yeah, was always sort woods. of Friday yeah. the 13th was always my thing. And I loved horror movies, but I also loved cinema. Like I wanted to work on a Godzilla movie. Like I wanted to be yeah. on a play. Like I wanted to stand on a set where I was like head height with the empire state building, you know what I mean? And like looking at the buildings and walking down the streets and sort of having that experience of like, this is a world where we create worlds. Uh, In fact, the, the the film that really inspired me was Pee-wee's big adventure. Yeah. The, the, the finale <laughs> of that movie of him riding through the Warner Brothers back lot. I was like, where is this place? I want to work there. And I had the opportunity to work there for like two years on the rookie for ABC. We had the, the stage was on Warner Brothers. I used to drive a cart around the Warner Brothers lot. Yeah. I, you know, drive along the tours and see people going by and like had that experience. And I think that like, that's probably like the theme of my career is that I wanted to have an experience. And so I just yeah. pointed you know, my ship in that direction and started sailing that way. And, um, and sort of like, they're trying to figure out how does that help me become a better filmmaker? Um, how does it help me run my company better when it, we step away and we have those opportunities to go and make movies and saying, Oh, now that I spent another three months on a show, I learned some new tricks about this department, or I knew learned some new tricks about like how to run the set, um, certain terminology, certain shots, you know, yeah. a lot of the times I get to sit back and watch professional directors of photography design really cool camera work and yeah. you get a front row seat to it. You got to do your job. You got to get everything there, but then you get to study. And it, I think that's the best part. It's studying people who are really good at their job, uh, do fantastic work. And then you have sort of those formulas and you take those formulas home and you experiment them with yourself and you say, well, I don't have, you know, six, 18 K lights <laughs> to like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, to yeah. make this rig. But you know what, when they did this interior scene, they use this scrim and, you know, they use this bounce and they only use these lights, but the way they shaped it, it created a really good moody scene. That's something right. I'm going to try to implement in one of my scenes. And maybe that's something we can play with because that's a technique that I haven't seen before. And so yeah. it just makes us better filmmakers. And that's sort of like what the pursuit is. Yeah. That must just be overall exciting to be, be able to experience it and take it in. There's, so there's, there's a lot of people that don't deal with 
you know, that don't do that. Fully, yeah, but there's different know? levels of it. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's a thousand ways to skin a cat. And sometimes yeah. like we can be watching people do something and like they really have a vision and then you're sitting there like, Oh my God, why are we doing like 12 takes of this? Like, yeah. you know, everybody, there's a point in the day where like, that'd be me. Everybody wants to, <laughs> yeah it's like it's great yes we're all making movies but like the insert of the phone shot like isn't the most exciting thing to um like watch and like there and like sometimes it's like people sort of like lose momentum during the day work slows down and so you really for me it's like it becomes then about like who you're on set with like who are the yeah. people that you're sharing this experience with because you're sharing 60, 70 hours a week with them a week. And, yeah, yeah. you know, it sucks when it's not a pleasant experience, when people don't get along, when people are barking at each other, and, um, you know, you show up, you're tired. And then, you know, you got an AD that's like nasty and they start like pecking at you and like <laughs> yelling at you versus sort of like. What's AD, the- assistant director? Assistant director. So okay. like on a, on a set. <laughs> On a set, there's like everyone's broken into into different departments. Okay. Um, the assistant director is the one who runs the set. They're the ones who sort okay. of making sure the clockwork of everybody needs to be where they need to be, so the shot can be presented in front of the camera for the director. They work for the director to say, "This is the next shot. We're going to set it up for you. When it's ready, we're going to get your approval. And when we get your approval, we're going to shoot." And then there's a bunch of steps in between that need to happen, like you know, the first, like they don't have, like the actors don't stand there the whole time. They're in their chairs. There's people called stand-ins that literally just stand there as they line up shots, move, really? move lights around, like get it to <clears> look <throat> the way they want it to look. The actors come in, um, they have to go through a series of looks. So that means makeup needs to come in and touch them up. Hair needs to come in and touch them up. Costumes comes in, you know, sometimes sound might come in. They might need to adjust a wire or props needs to come right. in and like show them how something works. And so all of these things have to go right. The lighting has to be right. The secondary decoration has to be right. There needs to make sure we don't see any cones or, you know, working trucks in the background right. or, you know, the <laughs> Starbucks cup on, on the table, yeah. you know, that's us, that that's, that's our department. And so there's different levels of that department. And I work within those department at different levels um like right now i'm working on a show called chad um i work with the first team so that means that i work with the actors my job when they leave base camp where they get ready and all those things is to work with the actors and make sure that they have a you know set up their village you know make sure that all the departments that work with the actors all those departments i just named like that they have a place to go and they have everything and the actors have that so when an actor steps on stage they are ready to go yeah. And if what, we're waiting they, on me, because <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep going, sorry. So, no, no, and saying if they're waiting on me, then, then that's when I like, that's when I'm not doing my job. So my job on set right. is to make sure that like, when they say we're ready to shoot, the actors are stepping in and they're ready to shoot. Right. And sort of tracking that. And then there's other pieces of it, like your shared responsibilities of like other duties but like as far as like yeah. my main focus for the day it's to get the cast in and out, make sure that they have a good time and get everything they need. And then also work with a bunch of other departments that get what they need, you know, yeah, uh, makeup artist needs to know. Yeah. Yeah, Like right now, like if I was, if we were shooting, I'd be like, oh, we're going to do two single cameras on each actor. Uh, They're going to be front facing the camera. So we're going to see everything in their face. And it's kind of like a medium, medium shot, a medium close up. And so they go, (laughs) okay, they know that they need to go in and come in and touch up our faces because the camera is going to be really close. They say, oh, it's going to be hide and wide. They're going to throw it on a 13 foot ladder. And, you know, the actors are walking away from camera <laughs> makeup's like, ah, I don't need to touch them up as much because we're not going to see right. their face. You know, you'll, you don't sand yeah, it's not of a, a drawer. Yeah. Tight close up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's different nuances to that. So knowing that and how to like, let people know, let people 
they're not always like, oh my God, I need to run out there and like make them perfect. They know like, okay, this is the one where we just need to go forward and I just need to touch them up a little bit. Yeah. So it's just look like them. (laughs) Yeah. It's a nuance. There's nuances to it. And it's just knowing each of the departments and what they need and, and helping them get what they need and communication. Yeah. I have kind of a silly question. So, uh, the Mm stand-ins, what's the criteria to being a stand-in? You have to be the same height as the actor? Basically this, you look sort of like the actor and sometimes you don't even have to like literally back like stand-in comes from the world of like there's background actors too so all those people that you see in films walking around in the background they aren't like people who are just randomly walking by like they're all (laughs) professional like walk walkers and sitters Uh, and eaters and talkers and like they it it's sort of like a way to break into the industry anybody can sign up you can literally go down to central casting at like 4 a.m on a wednesday and you sign up to become background and you get on a list and then you start getting placed and you have to show up to set. And um, usually background, the, the way background life goes is you go in, you check in with one of the teams on the, so like I do first team, there's another PA who does background. And yeah. so you check in with them, they sign you in, might be a second AD, uh, go to costumes. Costumes may give you a costume. They may say, oh, uh, you know, you may have to bring your own bring your own costume so you may have to bring different shirts and things like yeah. that oh no uh, no purple like we only want to see greens and blues in the background so right. they'll, they'll yeah, give you yeah. a shirt stuff like that <laughs> then you go then you go get breakfast and sit under a tent and then at some point in all the, the ruckus you get up you get marched to set and they say okay this is a busy restaurant you two you're going to sit at that table all right when they call action you're going to go to the soda machine act like you're getting a soda and then walk that way. And yeah. so in the frame, what we're doing is we're creating composition. Like the people mm-hmm. aren't just there to like fill it out. Like yeah, they're not if I'm sitting here, they're sitting still. Yeah. I'm not going to pack five background behind my actor. I'm going to put one deep in the, like maybe deep back here in this like area right, to like right fill on. in yeah, some yeah. space, you know, sometimes every now and then like a per- person crossing in the background sort of is a nice visual element. It sort of gives the, the, the frame some life. Yeah. It makes it feel like the restaurant is busy, but you wouldn't have like mobs of people going back and forth. You know what I mean? Yeah, so there's right, a nuance right. to it. There's background car people who show up with their cars, who have classic cars. You come and you park right. them on the street. One of the, <laughs> I worked for Why Women Kill and my job for a couple of, of the episodes was to park all the, the cars on the street. And even though it was a little thing, I got to pick sort of like the color sequencing and be yeah. know that I wasn't going to put three <laughs> green cars in a row. You know what I mean? Like, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And sort of the shapes of the car and which ones we would see more often and which would be nicer to see. And the ones that were yeah. a little bit more rougher looking, stick them in the deep background. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> and, and sometimes it's like one guy showed up with like this beautiful silver Porsche and it's like, it, those cars are sort of like too good. It's like, if you put it in yeah. the background, we're going to look at them. You know what I mean? So we're able yeah. to find like a, a, a nuancey, like, oh, there's a specific shot that it could work in because we can just use the back end. Of, you know, things like yeah. that. I know. Yeah, you, need an eight, you need an 89 Chrysler you know, in the background. So nobody pays attention so, to it. <laughs> sometimes let's say we're, we're shooting like they should. They recently shot a movie, I think, in Somerset that was set in like the 80s. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, dude, I, I don't know. Some, like, I, one of the things I want to do is come back to Massachusetts and kind of drive around and come up with a story to like shoot there. Um, what makes cool. me sad is remember that remember the house at the right when you got off right off the highway uh, right off the highway the white i know house. exactly what you're talking about i have a really creepy picture of the house because now it's, it's the house a, that was haunted the house that was haunted yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's and it's a all uh, the stories i've heard about that the gas leaks and it's a storage well, facility now they know they, they tore the what house happens down. in that storage facility right yeah <laughs> 
what happens in that storage facility why is it that every time i go to this storage facility in the weekend all my stuff's moved right who the hell's coming in here moving my shit the door's locked that would be it. I mean, honestly, like I, I've thought about that house a lot for me. Like I could probably write a story about that house, about like, they just actually, I, I don't, all right. So I'm going to copyright Womp Stomp films. Literally the opening of the movie that I thought about that movie is like sort of like <laughs> pulling out of the house. Like it's all creepy and it's just like, kind of like the music. And then the, as the music builds, all of a sudden, like the fucking bulldozer just comes in and goes, <laughs> starts like knocking down the walls. Yeah. And then yeah. it just cuts to like the guy who bought it. He goes, that's how you fucking kill a haunted house. <laughs> right, right, right. That's you know crazy I mean? that like, I knew this. exactly what you were talking about the moment you said that house. <laughs> that house that off house. the highway. Exactly it was the meant. creepiest house. What stories what? did you hear about that house? What was what was the, the legend uh, that you heard? I heard a lot of just shit that you, you just don't believe. Like thinking mm-hmm. about it now, I was like, I don't know if I, I believe that now as an adult, but like I heard that it was- As it was, kids. It was, like, it was a raised ranch, right? Mm-hmm. I believe- and it was two it was stories a story house yeah what either yeah. A, you know a colonial or a raised ranch whatever it was i heard that the upstairs floor was caved in like all the f- everything mm. was like as if a cannonball had smashed through the you know the middle of the house mm. and it was like so if you went in on the first floor you'd look up and everything was smashed in but you know there's no hole in the roof so yeah. it's like, oh, how did that happen? And I heard it was just haunted. Mm-hmm. Knives and shit would fly around the kitchen when people lived there. And then, oh, you know, there was always a light on. Like, oh, there's no electricity on at that house, but there was always a light there was on. There's always outside. that light. <laughs> there's always a light on yeah. in the back. Of course, in the I, back heard, too. <laughs> I heard that if you drove your car onto the lawn, your car would die. You would have to push it off the lawn to start it. Really? Oh, see, I wish I would have heard that because I would have tried it. <laughs> I know. I, and as I realized, I never, I, I think before, I, I think by the time we were driving, I think they had already knocked it down. It was around that time. Yeah. It, it was, was around it was, that time. Yeah. I mean, they should we must have been in high school. Scare people they, away. Yeah. yeah they must <laughs> have torn they, it down and it went while we were in high school. I remember I was really disappointed because I feel like we lost a piece of our horror history of, of the town. <laughs> yeah. And so that's why I'm like, I want to drive around and see if there's any more places like that that could really, they could really work. Plus, it's just, you know, it's a good aesthetic out there. I think it, it's interesting. Yeah. It's different. Um, just everything I see, like, it's funny when you start, like, shooting things, um, you start recognizing placing places where people shoot. <laughs> it's pretty funny. You're like, oh, yeah. yeah, that place where you can rent out or like, oh, it's, you know, Los Angeles. A lot of people try to make Los Angeles look like other places. And yeah. so now that I've lived here, it's like ruined every TV show for me because I'm like watching it like, oh, fuck, that's L.A. That's not, it's not Portland. Yeah. It's not. Oh, like, it's Ohio. I was like, it's palm trees. What the fuck? Um, I know. It. Oh, that's Sepulveda. God damn it. Um, it's like yeah, oh, that's I get in traffic over there all the time. That's really funny. So I did have <laughs> we got so off track. Uh, whatever that's what this is about. yeah it's cool um i was thinking about the stand-ins and mm. i was thinking that i could either if you work on it let me know if you work with joseph gordon levitt oh dude or, you could totally because i could i could totally oh be... my god <laughs> how tall are you well five ten okay so that's that's the criteria that's the last criteria for stand it's about the height because yeah. basically what they're doing is they're setting the camera up for the, the actor and obviously like the actor's getting paid whatever the actor's getting paid, but they need to be sitting at their chair, either doing their process or whatever yeah. they need to do to get ready to do the scene. It'd be tough if they were out there. You know, they don't like to be out there in front of like, it, it feels very surgical out there and the stand-ins are just out there and 
it's it's a pretty good gig. <laughs> I mean, the standing gig is a pretty good. The, the pay is, yeah, okay. Um, I'm, I would do it. it. I, I'd go on a vacation if I knew I could do a week as a stand-in for Orlando Bloom. I'll tell you what. If <laughs> I ever make a movie in Massachusetts where I have where I have either one of those guys in the movie and they need to stand and I will call you and you can take a week off of work that and I'll get great. you some stand-in rate pay. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll have you just hang out. It's, you know, and you just got to like sort of, and it's cool. It's like, you do have to know how to be an actor as a stand-in because it's like, it's about hitting marks. It's about, because right. if there's blocking in a scene, that's yeah. a big part of it. Um, they'll need you to like rehearse the, you know, the blocking path, you know, especially if there's like a shit. C's really need that. That's, that's why. Yeah. Uh, it really happens is because that like there's a camera operator and then there's somebody at another monitor that's operating the focus of the camera and if, if a actor steps in or out of the sort of pre-marked plane it makes it tougher for the ac to track them um okay. and when they stay within their mark range it depends and you know and there are certain things like you know certain settings on the camera will allow for certain depths of focus so there's a little bit more leeway um so it depends on the scene too but sometimes it's like razor razor thin so you really right. got to hold the mark so there's different there's different aspects to it yeah yeah that stuff's so interesting to me because I, I that's of course it's a world that you've been involved in and you've learned all these things and you know most people whether you're really into movies or tv shows or not you don't know any of that you know i don't know oh, yeah. any, any of you know how big a production crew really is for a movie or a tv show you know oh yeah it's it's ginormous it's there's it's it, it honestly it's like a mini military operation and the only but we're shooting film not guns like literally oh. it's like it works the same way it's it's like you pull in like all the trucks all the equipment shows up it all comes out everybody's got their like equipment they're setting it up and like it's insane. And it's just, it, every day is a circus. Um, not yeah. every day. Some days like are, aren't like when we work on stages, those are chiller days because everybody knows their spot. Everybody sort of like has their place kind of like etched out. You know, we all know where everybody sort of like needs their stuff. It's when like, we kind of go out and shoot in the wild that it really does yeah. feel like you're being dropped into a war zone of like, okay, there's like cars flying through the scene. There's, you know, it's, it, you're at the, you know, behest of the elements. Like we did a whole, episode of the rookie like it rained the entire time and it happened oh. to be the episode where you were like on location the most we were up in like the actually on the roads behind the hollywood hill sign oh really um yeah if we would have kept going it kind of takes you up that way and i mean it was pouring the whole time and it's like there's all these big scenes where they're tracking down this fugitive and there's cop cars <laughs> and car chases and we're running up and down this like mountainside and big wide shot so it's like you can't really like bring the gear in close so it's, it's, it's a it was a decent walk and like we're all soaked to to the core <laughs> um and it was a lot you know and it, it was a lot and in the process like i'm trying to keep the cast like dry <laughs> like, <laughs> that's my yeah. i gotta keep the cast dry when it's downpouring and i'm like soaking wet right. and so it was you know it became a challenge and, and you know everybody has to work to sort it together and that's and that's filmmaking i mean filmmaking it there's it sometimes it's really really hard to get what you need um and if you don't have good communication or if you don't have a good game plan like it can go south real quick and yeah. at that point you've wasted a lot of money um a lot of time you to go back and redo it um and so it it's it's uh there's not a lot of room for error and so when you see these, yeah. these shows and you see these films, I mean, sometimes it's like what they had to go through to, to complete those projects is you'd be surprised of what it, it's, 
it's like when it comes out, it's great. It's like, it's finally yeah. done, but the process to get it there can really break people. Yeah. So how about uh, never hike alone? Um, when you guys and never hike in the snow and all, all the movies that you've made through Womp Stomp, have you had any of these big, you know, big events happen where you're having these difficult days? Were yeah. they difficult movies to make or? They each have their challenges. Um, yeah. Never Hike Alone was a big challenge because I was I, I was going into it not knowing a lot of these things, not knowing yeah. a lot of these details. I was picking up these details as I was going along. So the first six months of Never Hike Alone were re- pretty rough. Um, anytime we tried to go out beyond our current sort of like mold, which was like when we were out there with three or five people, it was much easier. We were all hanging out. We had yeah. easy films, you know, <laughs> oh, go walk to that cabin. You know what I mean? Like yeah. these are shots that were easy to make look good. You know, there weren't a lot of moving pieces. You know, it was just our one actor dressing himself. And, you know, even then, like we messed up continuity on things and like he, he <laughs> wouldn't be wearing like the camera. And I'm like, well, I won't worry about it too much because it's like he could take it off. He can put it back on. He doesn't always have to have it on. Yeah. Um, but it, it, but my preferred thing was for him to always have it on. And so you kind of have to be like, ah, we screwed that up, but we got to move on. And if people are yeah. looking at that and not at what's going on then we're losing anyway so maybe we'll get away with it um (laughs) there was also sort of like an underestimation of how much we could shoot in a day so when we did get the money to start shooting some of the bigger scenes i would say there was at first a real challenge because we didn't get a lot of what we thought we were going to get and we had a lot of issues with the execution of what we got and the fact that like oh we needed this and that to do it and we shot it this way and it wasn't really connecting the way that I thought it would um we need to get better at this and there was a lot of like it happened on set a lot like all of a sudden we'd change the line and all of a sudden I'd have to change all the blocking and it would it would throw me off and it would throw us all off because we were trying to find it as we went and you know we had an idea of what we wanted but it, it wasn't like it wasn't fully vetted as much as I thought it was. And it was more in my head than it was in everyone else's head. And I thought that I could just lead them down the way. And it sort of became like taxing for me to explain to everybody every single time what was going to happen. So over that winter break, we came back and I came up with a different game plan, which was, I know how these scenes need to come together. I have a, a very pretty clear visual in my head, but people are finding out about it too late. So the mistakes we've made, the mistakes we've made, we'll reshoot those things next year. Um, we raise more money and sort of just started that process again and when we showed up to set i came up with you know what i would have learned at a better film school if i had went to one um (laughs) about sort of like shot decks and shot lists and 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 stuff that we had sort of done but it was it was so easy to sort of work with people and be like oh we don't need to do that stuff because it's us and sometimes like my shot lists were a little ambitious so i started to sort of like that's when I really put pressure on myself to be like, let's consolidate. Let's be smart about these angles. Let's go for some stuff, but like I need to build my way up to it. And then I also yeah. need to explain it to people. So I started sort of like poor man's previs where I would take a DSLR camera and I would just go out with anybody. I'd get a stand yeah. in, you know, my friend yeah. Kyle would stand in, my friend Christian yeah. would stand in and I'd be like, you're going to stand there. We're going to put together this entire scene. And I would go around and I would find my angles and I would just play with it. And it was on no one else's time. You know, we, there wasn't a a thousand people behind me waiting to see, it was just me thinking about the scenes, going through them and putting them together. And then when we got to set, there were still changes, but those changes were 
it was like a collapsible pocket knife. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah. it fit. It was like, oh, you know what? Click, 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 click. Oh, now we've condensed even more. This is, this works. And, and we were yeah. moving efficiently. And so the back end of, of Never High Cologne really changed who I was as a filmmaker. Um, I ran on that um, sort of momentum in everything else that I did. Um, after that, we sort of did a bunch of other small projects um, where I kind of had that same mentality. I had a very visual mentality. I would get that visual mentality across or, you know, on Pathosis, it was directed by a good friend of mine, Austin Boning. He's a previs artist. So he professionally does these for Marvel movies. He did, okay. um, he worked on the Avatar movie, the new ones um, that are going to come out. I don't know when. And, um, and a whole bunch, he did X-Men and, and all this stuff. He's, okay. he's won awards for it. So like he wanted to direct something. And so we worked them he prevised uh most of the movie we shot that previs um in a house in three days wow. so we went from this production where we never had alone took about a year to make to where we did pathosis and we shot that in three days and wow. it's a 20 <laughs> you know it's a 12 minute short but like a solid yeah. 12 minutes like we had limitations for what we could shoot in the house we were sort of like up against it in a way but we worked smart so we could complete the movie and we had something at the end that we didn't need to go back for reshoots um after that, we did Never Hike in the Snow. And yeah. Never Hike in the Snow was a much different experience as far as like how well prepared we were. That was really sort yeah. of like Never Hike Alone taught it to me. Pathosis allowed us to sort of like hone it. But then on Never mm. Hike in the Snow, it was like surgical. It was really cool. Our team was out there very, you know, we modest. I mean, we were out there with maybe 20 people, yeah. um, maybe a little bit more, 25, but everybody's very good at what they do. Um, they all yeah. work in the industry. They all do very, very well. Um, we came together. We had very slim wind. It wasn't so much the, the work. It was the circumstance because we were chasing snow. And yeah. so when we had driven up, <laughs> driven up there, there was no snow. There was only, um, it was all bare ground. And all we had was a weather report that said a storm was coming. And oh. so when the storm came, <laughs> we got the cameras fired up and we just started going and it was just like, knock it out, knock it out, knock it out, knock it out. And not a lot. We didn't waste a lot of shots. Right. Um, most of the shots that we shot on the day made it into the movie. Um, yeah. And I feel really good about that. Not a lot hit the ground because we, we were very economical. And like, I realized that there's probably a little bit more that I could have shot if I would have had more money to do maybe a second camera, I would have yeah. gone in for additional close-ups. I would have gone in and done maybe some, like I worked on the Jason rising project. So that's when mm. sort of like another part of my career branched off, which was, I was making my own movies. Um, but I was also helping other people. Like I have a friend in Flagstaff Renee who I've helped him make a few movies. Um, you know, I made friends with these guys, this guy, James Sweet and uh, Carl Winery up in um, Portland, Oregon. They were doing a project called Jason Rising, Never Hike Alone, sort of like put me on the map with Friday the 13th fans and they yeah, reached right. out and we started collaborating. So I would fly up there and work with them. Um, I've flown to Idaho to do short films. I did a short film called Imagine uh, that's on the Wampstown Films YouTube channel. It's an original little three minute short. And so it's sort of, yeah. you know, I've, I've sort of done almost everything. I've worked on features. I've worked on TV. I've done shorts. I've done all, you know, all yeah. sorts of things and, and all these. And so it, it's always sort of a good learning experience for me. And now I'm at this point in my career where I don't know, I feel like now it's like, this is what I do. I know how to make this sandwich. Yeah. And now I'm ready to yeah. keep making the sandwich and, and make it even better and come up with different varieties and, you know, never hike alone twos coming up in our, in our slate, which is really yeah. big. Um, I got another project that I'm really passionate about called ghost chicken, which is an animated project. 
because yeah. I got bored over the pandemic and couldn't shoot anything. And I had the <laughs> script that I wrote. I was like, you know what, let's animate it and found some story artists. And we've, you know, the whole thing is storyboarded just like we used to do in animation. I mean, I, I realized I was like, it's all at my fingertips. I can do it right from my home. Like yeah, I don't need yeah. to be at a studio. Like all I need are storyboards. I can cut it. And then I can find in like independent contractors to do each in every piece of this film, I just need to raise the money to do it. Um, and we need to get it to a certain place. And that's sort of, um, it just kind of keeps going. And so it's, it's just inching things along um, and helping other people with their projects and, and meeting new people along the way. It's, it's, it's all sort of part of the journey. Yeah. When I watched Never Hike in the Snow, I felt like I could have just kept watching that movie. Mm -hmm. I wanted that movie to be so much longer than it was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> me too and um you know i it's it's interesting just to hear how long it takes you to do things mm -hmm. you know how long all this stuff takes um but so who inspired you to direct was um, that something that was always on your radar is that is it always been your plan i mean you know, i don't know if there was any specific or is there any uh any film or anything you saw that you were like wow just mind blown this is what i want to do with my life Did you, you know have there was that a moment yeah it was it was in college and i was going to uri at the time um and i had transferred from Hofstra to uri um i was this, i was a journalism major at the time and i went to go see saw mm -hmm. by myself <laughs> midday matinee i was probably hung over from partying and <laughs> everybody else was at class and i had the day off and um I think I had just, uh, I couldn't, I wasn't playing that year. I got injured and I wasn't playing that year. So I was sort of like killing time and, and doing things. And, and I went and saw this movie and I was like, oh, this is cool. Gore's cool. And then that dude stood up at the end of the movie and I was like, what? I'm like, <laughs> how did they sneak the villain? Like, why didn't I ask this question? Like, how did they sneak this one past me? Like, I feel like an idiot. Like yeah. that was a good one. <laughs> and so I was so enthralled with that, that I, I, when all my friends came home that day, I was like, we're going to go out and see saw. I want you guys to watch saw. It's really yeah. cool movie. Like there's some really crazy shit in it. And they all love like horror movies too. Yeah. But I wanted to see the reaction to the twist. And I was sitting down and that part of the movie came up and I turned around. It was the first time in a movie theater I ever turned around and I watched all their faces sort of like just go, what and i was like yes i was like that's a good movie i was like that's how you make something entertaining and i realized at that point that i was like hmm i would love to do that one day and in the process of like moving on i ended up uh, leaving uri because i wanted to pursue film and television and in order to keep playing baseball i had to go down a division so i i went to worcester state which had a good little tv film program it was mostly docu style and tv production so mm -hmm. they didn't really have filmmaking um but it got me in front of a, of a editorial station and so i got to learn about yeah. editing and i got to learn about sort of like the ins and outs of it and as my baseball career was coming to an end i was falling more and more in love with film and i realized that i wanted to be a storyteller and at first i thought i wanted to be an editor um, yeah. but I realized in the story process, when I came out and started working on those animation films that I was like, I want to direct, like, I want to tell stories. I want to guide story and sort of like bring stories to life. That's sort of my, 
that's what my talent is. Like, if I look around, like I'm not a great story artist, like I'm an okay editor. I'm okay at a lot of things, but I know how all these things are supposed to work. And these people are, are technically gifted at executing those things. If I can conduct all of the people around me to do and inspire them to do their best, when this all comes together as one package, it's going to be great. And people are going to love it. Yeah. And I think that like Never Hike Alone was the proving ground for that for me. It was like, if everyone just trusts me and lets me guide them to, to a certain point yeah. in, in, in all of this journey, that we will find success because people will like what we do because I will set you up for success because I've been on too many shows where I've been set up for failure. And mm -hmm. I was getting sick of it. Like so many things got taken out of our control and a lot of the process about studios stepping in and notes. And we always felt at some point during a film that we would lose control of it, that it was this thing that we had and it was so close to being yeah. what we wanted it to be. And then a oh, bunch of outside factors come in and next thing you know, it goes out and that's it. And you move on. Yeah. And so it was a chance for all of us to sort of like, be like, no, we have control and we have say. And, um, and that's been the journey ever since. And then like with never hike in the snow, it was, you know, the, the plan with that was that prior to a pandemic happening, there was going to be yeah. like, we were going <laughs> to like, we were going to do never hike in the snow. And then we were going to crowdfund while we were doing the post for that and then start doing never hike again. And which was going to be the next thing yeah never hike in the snow was supposed to come out sometime during the late summer and then we were going to have never hike again come out like a few weeks later because both of those films could have been made that year yeah um, <laughs> and then we would have fundraised over the winter and then come back this year and finish the the back half which would have been a lot of fun yeah um but life hit hard man like pandemic hit yep. mike's dad died uh, our editor he uh he went away for a couple months he had to go back to new york um and life, we just hit the pause button. And yeah, once Mike came back, it was sort of like, okay, like, let's just get this done. Let's get this out. Let's make this the best it can be. Um, because it is, I mean, it was like, and at the time I was like, I hope people realize that it, one, it's a prequel and two, it's a pilot. Like it's going to have a cliffhanger ending. Yeah. It's going to lead us <laughs> into the next thing. And if I do my job, you're going to want more. Like, you, yeah. and if you want more, it's coming, but like, the world is shit right now. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to put, you know, especially at that point where you're doing fan films, um, you're yeah. working with fan money. You got to be really responsible with it. If I get a hundred thousand dollars and I don't bring out and deliver like that, yeah. you know, that money that we raised, that was a huge challenge to manage because, yeah. you know, I get taxed on that. There's, there's <laughs> like, I wanted to finish never hiking the snow all in one year. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and so because we got delayed and because I couldn't get the, the, the funding out, like I lost some of my funding to just taxes. Like I had to, you know, everything and shipping went up, like all the calculations yeah. that I had made were sort of now all thrown out of the loop because the, every industry changed, like USPS right, changed, right, right. Yeah, um, yeah. UPS changed, like all the, everything like all the prices went up so it ended up like costing us way more than it originally did so i didn't have anything left over to like say like oh i have another 10 grand to go do the first you know 10 minutes you know what i mean like i can yeah. do like because again like i'm trying to design never hike alone. i mean i didn't say again but like one thing i'm trying to do with never hike alone too is design a lot of sequences in there that i know that i could like kind of call andrew and call tom and be like it's gonna be me you a cameraman and a sound person and like maybe what pa 
and we're going to go shoot this little piece and we're going to do this little scene and we're going to go here with this little gorilla crew and we're only going to spend the money when we have the stunts that's when we'll do everything else but everything else i need you guys to come out with me and we need to do it just to us yeah. and so that way we can build a lot of the film in the same way we, we can steal weekends we can build it over time and then go okay you know july take four days off uh we're going up to the mountains we're shooting everything you right. know and then we go shoot all that stuff or if we have to go shoot it another like we have the hospital set that's going to come up for never high going too so we're, we're mm. we think we found a hospital set it's so expensive so we might have to find alternatives <laughs> or we need to get them to give us a better deal which can happen um yeah. i am using and investing the fans money in other artists and it's right. like i'm investing in them and saying that like you're giving the money to me and i'm saying this person gets this because they're going to give you this and this person gets that because they're going to take care of that and they all you know we work through them you know there's artists all over the world and country that we were able to sort of fund to make artwork and people have made signs and things and ship them from all over the world for to be in the movie um and it brings the community together and at the end of the day, like it all goes into the project. The fans get what they want. Um, we put it up for free for everyone to watch. It's not like only the people that pay get to see it. Yeah. And, you know, and then people get to choose whether or not they want it on home video. And then again, it's the same thing. There's a production process to it. There's, you know, I was lucky enough to find the, the people that I did at New Century. They're really good at what they do. Our discs are really, really good. They're professionally made just as much as any other disc that you would find at Best Buy or Walmart or Target, mm -hmm. like, they, they make it, I mean, they usually make 10,000, 20,000 copies of things. And I'm like, can I get 500 copies of this? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, sure, we'll pump out like a small little batch for you and like give you a yeah. decent price on it. And, you know, the process of like doing the artwork, getting the digital disc made, like it's all yeah. production. It's not just like, oh, I got the movie. And then like the commentary and like behind the scenes just kind of like appear all of a sudden on the disc. Like yeah. we have to shoot and make that stuff. So there's other little things. So, you know, when yeah. we shot the, the behind the scenes for never hiking the snow that was honestly behind the scenes for never hiking the snow that would have been like an a plus plus for the uh <laughs> course that i took in college that was sort of what they taught us to do that was exactly right. like the interview process how to set up interviews how to cut together like to documentary style documentary work. style which honestly i love documentary stuff i love interviewing people um i love people telling their stories and i also love yeah, me too. documentary <laughs> cinematography like right. it's really interesting to see like how they shape a person in a frame and mm. for what type of story they're telling like we have um tomorrow we're going to shoot uh what i've dubbed uh, the ghost files <laughs> i was like i need yeah. something fun for this uh because i'm just basically going to run down like the top seven questions that i get most often or it's things that i've always wanted to explain about never hike alone that um that people don't necessarily no, like I get a lot of questions. Like, where does it fall into the timeline? Is it canon? Is it what mm. what what logic does it follow? What is Ghost Jason? How did that happen? You know, it's like all these yeah. sort of things. And I, I just want to like that's what the Ghost Cup Blu-ray that's coming out to get a chance to be like, hey, if you're just getting on this journey and you haven't heard me on any other podcast or or met me or talked to me, like here's basically a rundown of what you're getting yourself into when it comes to the Never Hike Alone series and how it relates to Friday the Thirteenth right. and what our mission is and you know, it's a pretty good thing to like, kind of look back on it now because we're about to step into, you know, the precipice of it. Like this is, we're working on working towards the ending. Um, and I never thought I'd have that opportunity because when I first made Never Hike Alone, I thought it was going to be a five minute short. I thought it was going to yeah. be something that like guy goes into the woods, 
guy runs into Jason, guy gets axed in the face. It's the end. <laughs> yeah. And right. um, which is sort of the opening of Never Hike in the Snow. And then opening of Never Hike in the Snow is sort of a super condensed version of the original version of Never Hike Alone. All right. Um, and it wasn't until we found that abandoned camp that the story changed. It's like the, the camp gave us something else to tell a story about. And so there was time yeah. that we could dedicate to it. And the, and the other one, it was just sort of like some buildings, guy wanders in, Jason shows up, Jason chases him. There's a little bit of a misdirect and then Jason kills him. And, yeah. um, and it, that, but that camp was like, we can design it. Like we can build stuff. It's a cool yeah. place to hang out. Like, Ooh, what, what we can do with this room. Oh, let me rebuild that room. Like, yeah, you know, I would go up with, with friends of mine um, on the weekend and just like build bunk beds out of scrap wood, you know, and the things that they had up there, cause there was still furniture up there. And like, there were yeah. signs that had fallen down. So we would like rummage through the, the four by fours and, you know, two by sixes and sort of like, be like, Oh, this one's pretty good. We can use this or we can split this one and use this as a bed frame. And, you know, they had like <laughs> yeah. bed cots that we would just screw right into the wood. Like it didn't have to look great like when you got up close it just had to resemble it on screen um and again like a lot of things in films that you see like they're barely held up like you don't build <laughs> oh, really? it to be sturdy you build it because you're going to shoot it and as soon as you're done shooting it you're going to knock it down because right. you got to go do something else and you don't want to make it so sturdy that it becomes a pain in the ass to take it apart later you just need it to play its part in the frame and then go away and so a lot of the things you see on set are like, they look like solid brick walls, but it's literally just plywood with like bricks on it, <laughs> like <laughs> a print of bricks. Yeah. It's yeah. like, it's like, it's a little raised up in plastic, but like, yeah. and then when you light it and you shoot it, like no one's looking to be like, mm, is that really brick? They just yeah. know that I'm going to just, now. <laughs> yeah. Now you're going to look and be like, <laughs> wait a second. That's not a, Vinny said, that's not a real brick wall. <laughs> um, that's so, crazy. You know, so it's sort of like, and, and when you're on a big show, you can kind of like, even on the, some of the bigger shows, like this stuff is super expensive. Like I'm on a, like, even on the show I'm on right now, like the producers can't just do whatever they want, even though we rent out an entire stage, we have entire houses built on these stage, like floors yeah. of houses, you know, they basically on, on a, on a studio lot, they basically just, if it's a two-story house, they just slice it like bread and they, and the second story and the first story, like basically sit on the side of each other. Oh, All right. Yeah. Yeah. And you just shoot on those and like, there's no stairs. There's like, there's, there might be stairs, but they go up to nothing. Um, right. Like I always think about uh, now when I look at the, the marriage of children set, like that was always a house to me. You know what I mean? that, was, yeah. like, that was their home. And now when I like, when I think about it, I'm like, literally that staircase went to nowhere. It was yeah. literally just to another platform and behind there was just two by fours and nothing. Yeah. And, and when know, somebody probably, came down from the top, they were, how long were they standing there for? <laughs> Yeah, you know what? Well, they had to hold their mark. Yeah, they yeah, had to have a queue. Waiting. And, you know, there, there might have been a staircase that they might have been able to do it, but it's like, you know, all that stuff. And so to see sort of like the magic of it, sort of get behind the curtain and see how the yeah. magician does his tricks, it's it's really invigorating because it trains me as a magician to be like, ooh, these are tricks yeah. I can utilize. These are things right. that I can use. And, I, and and we used a lot of them in Never Hike Alone. I mean, we, we reshaped rooms. We cheated space we cheated hallways like there were plate like there were places like we cheated buildings like you felt like you went into three buildings we mostly shot in one building yeah. um and just changed different rooms and made him walk in different doors and it was like it was tetris but one of the first things we yeah. did was i would go up with uh, that guy kyle the producer and i would be like okay kyle i'm gonna sit in the corner of this room set up a camera i want you to enter go right and step into that door 
Okay, now enter, go left and step into that door. And I would use those pieces like building blocks to be like, yeah. what is the path? What is the best path through all of these rooms? And which room will connect to which room? So even though yeah. in life, they didn't connect in, in each other in the movie, this room connects to this room. And separating out so it made it feel like where he was staying wasn't necessarily where jason was and yeah. even though in reality where he was staying in the main lodge was connected to the same kitchen was which was above them was jason's bedroom and so right. <laughs> in fact what we did was and you can see it in the film as we hung up um all these curtains over where the kitchen was where you could see through the kitchen and when you come into the kitchen you can see it from the other side but you wouldn't necessarily put two and two together unless you knew no. the layout and knew that on the other side of that was where that was it felt like a different yeah. building um yeah that's interesting because it's it's not something that anybody would think <laughs> anybody yeah. going into it i would never think that if i were going to shoot a movie and i needed three buildings in my mind, I need three whole entire buildings. Yeah, it really, I, I don't can... need one building with different pathways and lighting. And, you know, that's not something the average person ever thinks about. Yeah, but I mean, and then there's like, I learned a lot of that animation too, the way you could reuse stuff. But there was like one room that we shot one way. And then once we shot that scene, which is the scene where he like, Jason kicks the door open and grabs the machete. Mm -hmm. After we shot that scene, uh, our production art department went in and built a wall and that became the hallway that he comes down with all the bed cots and so it's the same exact room but we changed the layout of it and then it became something else so when you go up into the attic he like kind of goes up and around the stairs where those stairs lead out is actually right by the door to nowhere you come up it goes by the door to nowhere and then the attic's there but we didn't want a path of escape there we felt mm -hmm. like, oh, well, if there's the door to nowhere and there's the stairs, like the yeah. stairs makes it too easy for him to escape. So we created sort of like this fake hallway where at the beginning of the attic scene, Kyle actually steps out of Jason's attic room into yeah. a back hallway that was already back there and makes it feel like he came up the stairs and then walks out into the front where the stairs actually come up. For that shot, we put up a couple of shelving units, put a bunch of wood in there and then put big um, brown two by uh planks of plywood four by eights all right yeah uh, all behind it and we never <laughs> shot above where the where the two by four couldn't be seen and so it's always blocked and it looks like a solid wall and so we always <laughs> sort of shot it that way and always made sure like don't let the frame the frame you know the top of the frame hit that yeah um just cheat it and then once we turn yeah. around like we can hide it you know and, and the way that you would like bend light to like get light in there like we had a big we call them a shiny board and so it's basically a big mirror big yeah. like silver piece of thing that we would jack up on a big uh, combo stand and the sun was on the opposite side of the building but we bent it bent the light from the the sun to blast it through the door to nowhere to light those scenes and so a lot yeah. of that was and then that comes into like the the cinematography and crafting of it to get light in there like what's the yeah. natural motivation of light to make it moody and cinematic and that gave us what we needed in that sense so like in order for it to look that way, there was a lot of film science that needed to go in and yeah. create that all yeah, the work. You had like to learn you, all that. Yeah. <laughs> you had to learn all that. And if you didn't, if, if we didn't sort of put that together and we were like, we can only shoot it how it's built, it wouldn't have come out the way it came out. Yeah. And that's sort of, and that's the next level of filmmaking that I think that like, that I had to learn working in the industry that taught me those things to look out for those things. Cause without it, I don't think I would have come out with a, with a product that, that was as um, strong. Yeah.
Yeah, I can see that. I, I can't imagine going into it, not knowing all that stuff. Where do you see um, Womp Stomp Films going? Like, what is your, uh, what is your vision for your company? You know, being realistic, you know, the timetables that we have, the time that it takes for me to, to sort of get these things done. Um, I think it, it, it's, it's sort of a slow climb unless something blows up, like unless yeah. Friday, unless they call me tomorrow and say, Hey, Vin, Friday the 13th is yours. Go for it. You know, I think That'd what it's going to be is that for a while, Womp Stomp is going to probably on a yearly basis, we're either going to release something that I direct, something that Austin directs, something that another friend directs. Uh, we're going to put them into film festivals. We're going to see how they do. We're going to continue making connections with people in this industry and building our teamwork teams out. You know, I think short term, we're looking to take on some features and produce them and become a fully functioning, you know, independent film company that can produce a feature film the proper way and be smart about it. You know what I mean? Like all those things we just talked about being able to be really, you know, a company that thinks on its feet filled with a bunch of smart people that we're going to show up to the building and be like, we can shoot this 10 ways from Sunday. And we got the people here that aren't going to say like, well, it's built this way. So it's the only way we can do it. You know, and then personally, like, I hope that sort of my ventures through this, through this industry eventually land me a job where all I get to do is be the director. That's sort of like the end goal for me is that I'm on a production where, and maybe that's for with through Womp Stomp Films. Maybe eventually, you know, I have a lot of great people mm-hmm. that support me now. You know, yeah. like I, I mentioned him before, but his full name's Kyle Klein. Um, you'll see him on the behind the scenes. He's there. I have another great friend, Kara Michelotti, who uh, is our line producer and producer producer. He gets a lot of stuff done. She put a lot, like if it wasn't for ne- her, Never Hiking the Snow would have never got finished. She's the one who came in and really built the sort of, foundation in which we could bring a production crew up into the mountains and shoot into the snow um she's the one who, nice. who had all the connections with all the right people to to do all that stuff and we just added um another producer her name's Brittany montero uh she was the script coordinator on pathosis she was a script coordinator on never hike in the snow she works mm-hmm. at netflix um she's insanely smart insanely organized so she's going to step on and be one of our uh one of our lead producers because cool. she just gets stuff done <laughs> And so she's, you know, so with the three of them, I think that like a lot of the work that I do as a producer um, or have done as a producer, I'm it now I'm allowed to be like, here you go. Yeah. I mean, I know it's a long winded answer, but that's, it's (laughs) like, I'm trying to be like the the long, if I had to say it short in the short term, it would be that we just want to be a fully, a fully working production company that we could be hired. uh, We could all do our, our jobs at a reasonable pay and create really good and cinematic films for uh, a fraction of the cost of what it would take to shoot some of the bigger ones and being, yeah. you know, smart filmmakers. Cool. That's awesome. So are, are you really into, obviously you're into Jason, mm-hmm. you're a horror movie aficionado. What, what is your take on like the newer movies? Like I think of movies like, like get out mm-hmm. or uh, hereditary mm-hmm. movies like that, where there's like possession or there's, you know, there's, you know, there's people having their souls stolen <laughs> yeah, right. or, you know, the, I guess, uh, what is your take on there? There's no like superhuman monsters in these movies. There's no real villain per se. That's like, like it's not your prototypical, creature. like there's yeah. the monster here. It comes. It's going to rip everyone apart. I mean, I love all forms of horror. I mean, they've, yeah. you know, they've sort of dubbed the hereditary and get out to the world, like elevated horror because they're more right. psychological. 
yeah um, psychological that's the word i was looking yeah for. <laughs> and people really like sort of like cringe at it like oh all horror is like you know it doesn't have to be high art that's the point of it and like there's there's different i don't know there's different like schools of thought on it and i'm like i love it all like i love you know the trashiest trash from the 80s <laughs> and the 70s like the italian giallo movies and, and you know things that are like really just in some points exploitive a lot of places explorative um they explore different facets of the human psyche um anything that turns around and makes humans the monsters i think is a good you know with you know sort of like midsummer and, and hereditary in that sense is that like there's like yeah. there's sort of like a weird line drawn as far as like what the evil is and what do you you know all those things um yeah i for me it's like all i care about is tell me a good story whether you have the best production value in the world or the worst tell me a good story and right. make your characters interesting. And if your characters are interesting, I will watch them make toast. <laughs> yeah. Like I'll watch Ace Ventura make toast. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Like yeah. I'll watch Tony Collette and Hereditary make toast because she'll probably have a mental fucking breakdown while doing it because that's <laughs> what her character is. And there's something interesting in right. watching, you know, an actor commit to that performance. And like, when you think of Hereditary, people can say whatever they want about like the plot and all that stuff. But like, you cannot walk away from that film and not say like, wow, that was an amazing acting piece like yeah that was try to logic out it was yeah. an experience and yeah and then the fact in again like that moment where your jaw drops like yeah. that's what movies are about yeah and the second time in my life that i made someone else watch a movie and then watch them watch the movie to see the reaction <laughs> was hereditary because i yeah. remember what my reaction I, I like jumped out of my bed um and i like i showed it to my brothers and they like did backflips off the couch they were like holy <laughs> shit um you know you don't see it yeah, coming my, and like <clears throat> my wife and i watched that and uh she was pretty spooked and <laughs> we went yeah to bed, it's unsettling you know, and we we turned the lights off that night and you know good night honey and i go just uh <laughs> yeah you're gonna do that and then in the in the darkness just give it a minute <laughs> yeah oh my god that's good she must have punched you yeah she did <laughs> yeah it's uh yeah and, and i think so that's good you know what i mean yeah. like say what you want but like it's a simple thing that somebody was able to do because that's what we want to do we want horror yeah. films to sort of scare us and i think sometimes it's it's really easy to like michael myers is an easy story to tell you know what i mean like right. he just wants to kill people so he's gonna get yeah. up and there's a boogeyman out there and he's coming for you you know it makes it yeah. He's just the boogeyman tapped. becomes very, very obvious and, and a lot of fun, you know, like Jason is a boogeyman and telling his story and, um, and Freddie and Leatherface and, and Dracula and the Wolfman and mummy, like they're all, right. they're all different versions of stories, zombies, ghosts. Um, you know, I, I heard someone a long time ago say that like, there's a wheel of horror and it always turns. And so there's slashers and then the slashers die out. And then like the zombies come and the zombies die out and the ghost movies come and the ghost movies die out and torture yeah. porn came and that died out. <laughs> um, and it's just, and then all of a sudden slashers become relevant again. And it's just sort of right. the wheel keeps turning and everything sort of has its turn. And each generation of horror filmmaker um, puts their spin on it. Like the slashers turned into meta slashers with scream and, I know what you did last summer and right. um, urban legend and things like that. So the slasher evolved and then it sort of died out and then the remake came. And so Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Friday the 13th and uh, Amityville horror and, and all those different things. So like, I think what it is, it's like whatever the trend is. So if the trend was elevated right. horror, it's what were we given? What was new? What did we learn? Did we have good experiences? And there are some elevated horror that's going to be too elevated. It's too 
in yeah. up its own ass and yeah and, too much <laughs> you know what i mean like i think about it and i don't mean this in, in, in a negative way as possible because i actually enjoyed the movie I, the lighthouse but guess what? Yeah. I watched that movie knowing like, oh, fucking people are going to hate this. Uh-huh. <laughs> people are going to, you can't send I like somebody. I like that movie. I like that movie a lot, actually. Yeah. But you can't yeah. send someone in there who just watch Avengers Endgame and then go like, all right, <laughs> perfect follow-up to Endgame, Lighthouse. <laughs> yeah, no. You know what I mean? Like, they're going to, they're going to be like, this boring. What's happening? And like, yeah. it's, when you're making a film, you have to understand who your audience is and you have to understand what your limitations is by once you've been choosing the audience when i made never act alone i was like i'm limiting my audience to people who would be willing to watch a friday the 13th <clears throat> fan film i'm eliminating yeah. a lot of people with the word fan film i'm eliminating eliminating a lot of people with the with the word friday the 13th but we're not the word but the fra- the title friday the 13th yeah, right. and then putting them together makes it even worse <laughs> so this is for basically at the time in my head because youtube was out there but there wasn't really like a fan film craze yet because we hadn't released never hike alone and there were fan films out there and there was sort of like mighty Morphin power rangers which was big there was dirty laundry which was big there was there was i think there was man in the lake uh was a uh, was the biggest friday the 13th fan film at that time but it was shot with like a dv camera so it looks like a home mm. video recording and right <laughs> you know the 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 effort is there but you can tell it's nowhere close to cinematic quality um yeah and it's something that the filmmakers would do they did the best they did with that equipment but the equipment wasn't there to support their vision right um and i Lack was like accessibility yeah and so like having the ability to go get a digital dslr sony a7s2 that we were able to shoot and make change the settings and get the right lenses pick the right times of day to shoot in have a great fantastic backdrop and setting put those things together and a good looking actor you know coming from yeah. uh, you know andrew was um he's an actor but he's all he was also a, a cover model for uh like romance novels so we did like a lot <laughs> yeah. of his pictures would sell to the covers of romance novels so he would oh, play no like greek gods and have his shirt <laughs> off a lot and so we'd oh, always joke guy. about like yeah we, we always <laughs> talk about sort of like oh andrew we gotta get a shot of you with your shirt off in the film for the girls yeah um and we did at the end of the movie he's finally got his shirt off uh and he's all messed up <laughs> so um and so like when you put all those things together, all of a sudden it changed the landscape of it. And really I was, at the time it was just like message boards. I was, a, I was on message boards arguing with other Friday the 13th fans about what I thought a new Friday the 13th film could be if they gave it a little bit more effort. And that's what I love about elevated horror. It's that like, yeah, yeah it may rub people the same way, but guess what? A lot of horror films don't take any effort to try and tell complex story. Like they True. just keep it simple. They get, they put the kill, they make some, they put some boobs on screen. They put some blood on screen. They do another <laughs> kill. They put some yeah. more boobs. And like, it's just, it's, it's, yeah. you know, they're just turning out sausages rather than sitting there and making a gourmet meal for somebody. And as, as a Friday the 13th fan, I was like, I always want to see somebody treat Jason as if he wasn't a joke. If he wasn't yeah. a punchline, if it wasn't, oh, you're going in the woods to have sex and smoke weed. Jason's going to yeah. come oh, get no. you. Here comes the boogeyman. Yeah. Yeah. It's more about <laughs> like, you know, it was sort of like, what's the experience with Jason? That's the most scary. And like I said, growing up in, in, in Westport on the lake, in the woods, 
Yeah. I had real fears. I had fears that he was going to pull me down to the bottom of the water. I had fears that he was going to pop out from behind a tree when we were playing X-Men in the woods. You know what I mean? Like, but when Jason stepped down, I'm fucked. Like, you know what I mean? Like, am I going to climb <laughs> yeah. a tree? Am I going to crawl on some brush? And so a lot of what shaped Never Hike Alone when it came to the confrontation scenes was sort of like, what would a one-on-one -on -one confrontation with Jason look like? Um, yeah. And with that formula, I was like, wow, this sucks. Like, no one's going to love this because it's found footage partially. Um, it's one-on-one, -on -one, so there's no body count. I'm just basically eliminating all these pieces from Friday yeah. the 13th. That all, the, all the big pieces, yeah. All the big pieces and shaping it down to just Jason is scary. And what would it be <laughs> like to encounter him if you were all alone? And turning that into like a good 50 minutes of, of cinema, um, which I didn't expect to do. And then when I released it, it was sort of like this, I wasn't going to tell your right horror show because I thought that I was going to then spend the next two years of my life touring the movie. I just wanted yeah. an experience on Friday the 13th, which that's what it was, October 13th, yeah. 2017. I just wanted a place to screen it. I just wanted to put it up on a big screen. That's it. Yeah. And I was going to put it on YouTube and see what happened. And I thought I was going to get, you know, hundreds of plays or maybe a couple grand. Like that would have been pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and it was only until after that weekend that I realized that like something changed. Like mm -hmm. I had legit filmmakers coming up to me and people who were running that festival and like thanking me, they were like, thank you for thinking of us. Like we were going to do this other thing for Friday the 13th. And like, we've all seen the other Friday the 13th. And yeah. you know, it wasn't, you know, it was just going to be like, cause I go to a lot of like retro screenings in LA. Like we do it at right. the new Bev, they do it at, at the arrow they do it at a few things like, you'll see it's nice to see like an old friday the 13th up on the big screen but we've seen them like a million times like right we've seen yeah, yeah, yeah. friday i've seen friday the 13th on the big screen like more times than i can count now and so the point was is that friday the 13th hadn't had a new film come out in like eight years at that point it was you know they made the 2009 remake they canceled three or four other films and that's yeah. the other part that was driving it the fact that friday the 13th was struggling like yeah they made the 2009 film it did well ish not mm. enough to get a sequel you know 20 million dollar sequel which was they wanted to spend on it um they went through three different sets of writers um they went through two directors um and eventually they got to the point where they were going to shoot the movie they were painting the cabins in georgia and they pulled the plug oh. on and friday the 13th fans were let down everybody yeah. was sort of like we're not getting a movie that sucks. And in the yeah. meantime, we're working on Never Hike Alone. And the whole point with Never Hike Alone was if I can make a 10, five, 10 minute short, it comes out at the same time as the movie. It's just like a little like appetizer before the meal. And that's the way I, I kind of pitched yeah. it. I was like, we're going to make the appetizer before the meal and people might like it. And like hardcore fans are going to watch it. And we might get on this website that I go to all the time called Friday the 13th franchise.com. And if we make Friday the 13th franchise.com, that will be cool. And then one in, in the course of like making the movie, there was one point where I was just scrolling online and never hike alone was in bloody disgusting, which is one of the biggest horror platforms in our genre. Okay. Like they're one of the biggest, um, they're like, like an arrow in a head in the head or Joe blow or like even rotten tomatoes. Like, okay. That's a ranking system, but like bloody disgusting as far as right. like, when you're talking about like cinema, um, and horror cinema, that's where everybody goes for their horror news. When there's new horror movies coming out, it's like Bloody Disgusting, Dread Central, Horror Geek Life, Fangoria. 
um, mm-hmm. and, and tons of other like publications. And we weren't just getting in Friday the 13th franchise.com. We were getting in all like birth movies, death, which was, uh, you know, at the time, one of the, one of the cool like indie sites that was run through Alamo draft house. Um, and so all of a sudden, like these bigger publications are writing about us. More people are finding out about it. We're getting up into like tens of thousands of plays over a series of days um wow and it all just started to sort of like unfold and then other film festivals reached out and they were like we would love to screen never hike alone for special wow. event screening <laughs> um i started asking around being like am i allowed to submit this as a film and film festivals were like please bring it wow. like bring it to here bring it bring it to idaho bring it to chicago bring it to ohio bring it to south carolina bring it like bring it to all these places and i was like happy to do it. Were you just asking everybody to pinch you at that point or? (laughs) I mean, at that point I was just sort of lost in it all. I was just trying to like, because in the process, like, yeah, I can get it there, but that means I got to get this and that and sort of like figure out how to get there. And, you know, how do we make up for like, I was also dealing with like the debt of it because we had put everything (laughs) into it and there was a large debt that we collected to get it done. Um, I ended up making that money back on the home video sales. So we broke even and were able to donate some of that money. Um, and that's when I sort of was like, I started to sort of like get there when I started doing things like showing up, I went, I drove out to a, a, a convention in Arizona called mad monster. And so the okay. film had come out, we took Tom math, you know, we got to work with Tom Matthews, which is really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and so Tom was like, I was going out there to do something and Tom was going to be there. And I was like, oh, I'm going to come down and say hi. So I went down and Tom had a booth and I went up and I was just talking to him and he's like, have a seat. And so like, I'm sitting with him behind the table and to the right of me is Larry Zerner, Shelly from part three. And that's the guy who's famously known for giving Jason his hockey mask. And so uh, Larry's an entertainment lawyer now and works in LA. And so it was cool. I'm sitting behind two Friday the 13th legends. People are coming up talking to Tom and then everyone, and then every now and then someone would be like, never hike alone. And we talk about Never Hike Alone. And then we did the, uh, the, he did a panel where he mentioned it. And that was when it was starting to be like, oh, this is really cool. Uh, we did a, um, we did a premiere in, in Hollywood at the La Vista Theater, which was, um, what did they shoot there? They shot like a famous movie there. I can't remember, but um, it's a very well-known theater. They do a lot of premieres there and we were able to secure okay. it. Um, and, you know, the director of Friday the 13th part six came to the premiere, Tom McLaughlin. Okay. And so like, after that, I started getting breakfast with Tom, my favorite <laughs> Friday the 13th and my favorite director from the series. So we would go to the one-on-one cafe and every few months, just catch up, talk shop, talk film, talk theory, like just have like, you know, another mentor in my life that I could talk to and ask him about his career and, and, and sort of advice and, yeah, you know, all of those things. And, it, you know, they started coming down along. Uh, Adam Marcus from Jason Goes to Hell, um, Doug Tate, who played Jason and Freddy versus Jason, and he just played Michael Myers. Uh, in a few scenes of, of Halloween kills. Um, right. Then meeting Deb Voorhees, <laughs> getting, getting involved with the 13th fanboy project. Um, Ron Sloan and all the people through that. And, and sort of, you know, we met Adrian King through Jason Rising and, and uh, yeah. Amy Steele. And, you know, it's sort of been, you know, meeting Judy Ronson and Tracy Savage, who came back and did work for us on the Ghost Cut. Um, you know, like I said, Ron Sloan and Deborah Voorhees from Friday the 13th Part 5, Cindy Kanai, who happens to be, uh, who's also married to Vinny Guastafara, who came back and played Rick. So after I met Tom, he introduced me <laughs> to Vinny, and I was like, I got to bring back Rick. Like, he's got to yeah. be the sheriff. And like, we'll put you, we'll get your rivalry back on screen. It would be fucking awesome. And yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. him coming back and 
so all these different things and and you know people recognize it you know i got to work on Friday yeah. the 13th the game which was really cool um you know i was a backer in the game i got my name in the computer and then um mm-hmm. they they were shooting at a uh a mocap stage called the house of moves and so i had actually done i worked for a commercial company that shot there once and i knew exactly where it was and i said hey guys i know exactly where house of moves is could i come down and shadow you for a day i just want to hang out and because they had yeah. like because they had crowdfunded the friday the 13th game mm-hmm. and i had crowdfunded never hike alone and they showed support to us and so we stayed in contact ronnie hobbs and i who was one of the creators of the game but then there's Wes who also created the game. We, we had less him, but they were both there and we were hanging out. Larry Zerner showed up because at that time, nobody knew, but his character was going to be in the game. And I found out that okay. day and they're like, it's top secret. You can't tell anybody. Charlie's going to be in the game. <laughs> so that was really rad. And they were designing kills and they got ahead in the day and they were like, Vin, uh, you got any ideas? And I was like, yeah, I'm like I got lots <laughs> of ideas. And so we went out there and, and sort of pitched through a few and, we had to work within the confines of the game. You know, you couldn't just right. do anything. It wasn't like world's your oyster kid. It was like, we need to find a way yeah. that works with the way that our system works. And we ended up coming with up with the free kick kill, which is really rad. Um, okay. So that ended up being the last patch of the game, the last update that came in. Uh, that was part of one of the updates that are like level 125, you got that kill. And I was like, I designed a kill in the game. That's, that's pretty rad. <laughs> I mean, that's official license stuff. So like now I've done yeah. something for the official franchise. Um, the other thing that we got into was uh, there's a Friday the 13th puzzle game. And okay. so they designed a ghost Jason in oh, the cool. puzzle game and they have <laughs> Kyle McLeod in the game. And in fact, I was playing it a couple of days ago because I hadn't played it in a long time. And Kyle randomly popped up in the game and I was like, ah, there he is. It's my <laughs> friend. It. Like, it's yeah, so it's cool. Exciting. So <laughs> it's really been, and that's why I said, like, I think we kind of talked about it before. Like, I see myself as like a Z-list celebrity. I feel like yeah, I got a backstage pass to the people that I really think are the real celebrities and I get to be there. And every now and then somebody recognizes me for Never Hike Alone for this or that or the other thing. But for me, it's just basically giving me a pass to sort of work with these people as peers as I'm in like sort of like the dawn of my career. Um, yeah. Here Never Hike Alone obviously was 2017, but like it's a long road. You know, I don't have, yeah. you know, I'm not coming from like a trust fund family or my, you know, my parents aren't like big Hollywood producers out here. Like, like <laughs> hey, get, give little Vinny over here his movie. He, he's a good right. kid. You know what I mean? Like it happens. Yeah. Um, or the, you know, a lot of people like I realize that a lot of a lot of filmmakers like they come from money and I get it yeah. because like if you can get it funded and get it made, then that's all you need. But like if you can't just get it funded and get it made, that process of getting the funding and getting it made can stretch out over years. And it isn't until you make that one thing that's like, oh, we're going to go out and seek this person out to now be paid and do this as a living. Right. I'm still in the process of that. And so like until I sort of get to there, um, everything I do, it's like I have to fight tooth and nail for. I have to put in a lot of extra right. work, a lot of like even today, like sitting down, making time. And, you know, yeah. whether it's going to be a podcast or whether I'm cutting or whether that it's all devoted to um, sort of putting in that time, putting in the time yeah. that, that it takes to, you know, get the message out there or just connect with a new fan and build the fan base a little bit more. Yeah. Um, if, you know, another subscriber to, to, to Womp Stomp Films can, it adds up. I mean, I have yeah. closing in on 50,000 subscribers. <clears throat> wow. And yeah. I joke about it because I have a lot of friends who are YouTubers and I get, I get interviewed by them a lot and they talk about their channels and they do weekly updates and they do weekly reviews and weekly shows. 
and they're, you know, 50,000, 70,000, 100,000 yeah. subscribers. And I joke and I'm like, I have, I release one thing a year. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. that's my game. Like people show up to my channel because they know when any, when it might take a while, but when something pops up, it's going to be pretty impressive for somebody who's just on YouTube. Um, yeah. And that it may be the next thing to something that like, eventually maybe I do get something I get to, you know, direct something for a Warner brothers or a new line or, you know, a smaller company, or even if it's going to be on shutter that like, there's part of that. And a lot of these yeah. people I've met through doing conventions. I've personally met a lot of fans and grown a lot of fan bases from going there and do interacting directly with the fans, understanding what they're about, understanding what about our films sort of appeals to them. And it gives me sort of encouragement to keep going. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, oh, absolutely. if you're going to be there to watch it, I'll make it. Yeah, That's, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. It'd be great if I was like rolling in cash. But I think more than anything, like I got paid a lot of money to do those animated films. By the time I got out, like I was set. All I had to do was just stay on that track. And yeah. I didn't, I wouldn't have to worry about financing. Like I would have been able to pay, keep my bills paid, pay for my, pay for whatever I needed. I wouldn't have been like a billionaire or a millionaire by any stretch, but I would have lived decent, like a decent life. Yeah. Um, there was no better <laughs> feeling than when I released Never Hike Alone and people watched it and enjoyed it. Yeah. It was the first time I ever worked on a movie <laughs> that got a positive review that's on the plus side of 50 <laughs> on any review site. Yeah. And that felt better than anything else. And the fact that we did it, like I worked yeah, for all these companies it. that spent millions. Right. And they're right, like right, at 23%. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like, really? Like we spent all this time and this is what we did. And hey, it was fun. And yeah. I, I, I love the people I worked with. But I think we all saw the opportunities that were, that were given to us. And we're like, yeah. I think we all could have done better. You know, we're... $70 million gets spent, $40 million gets spent, third, $25, 30000000 million gets spent. It's like, wow, imagine if I had $30 million to do Never Hike yeah, Alone. Yeah, what you, you could have done. <laughs> what could I do? And now, you know, and I think that with Never Hike Alone 2, you know, Never Hike Alone 1, we only raised $20,000, not even. Yeah. Like, and third of that went to shipping and product. Um yeah. A lot of I that know. was private funding. That was, yeah, yeah. There you go. Hey, there you go. Oh, there you go. Uh, and those <laughs> shirts are the best. Tell me that shirt's not comfy. It is. Last. It's comfortable. It's, I don't know. How long have I had it? It's been years. It looks brand new. <clears throat> and it's, it's doing great. I'm holding on to it. <laughs> Shout out to T-shirt pros that, oh my God, they, that's, <laughs> that's the one thing. And that's, and that's me too. Like when we were doing the, the like crowdfund, like you could go and be like, there's like the $7 shirt or the $6 shirt, but it yeah. feels like you're wearing cardboard. Yeah. And I think with me, whether it's what's on frame or what you're wearing right now, like yeah. I want people to get it <laughs> and be like, somebody thought of me. <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> they, they actually realized they weren't just trying to take my money they gave me something worth buying. Like, yeah. even if the movie was shit, at least the shirt's comfortable. <laughs> like, least, yeah, at least I can wear this shirt. And be comfortable. You know, um, what you're talking about right now is, is really the main part of the show. Mm -hmm. The whole reason I started this podcast was to talk to people that are passionate about their work and creative. So you're literally describing <laughs> the, uh, the, the, odd people the odd people of mm -hmm. this uh this show the people i've been talking to 
for you know two years, you are pretty much the epitome of an odd person. Oh yeah, <laughs> and you know you've seen me at my oddest. <laughs> so you um, you know you're you're passionate about your work and you're not in it for the money. Mm-hmm. And of course, the money would be great. Yeah, <laughs> not not one person has ever said it. Yeah, yeah, the money is a long term thing for sure. But yeah, it's it, right now the investment is in the skill set. And once you have the skill set, they can't take that away from you. Thank you for listening to part one of this two-part series, this two-part interview with Vinny. Make sure to tune in next week for part two. I hope you guys enjoying uh, are enjoying this. Uh, there's a lot of information. There's a lot of stuff that I had no idea uh, how they do it. You know, it's a, it's a look into the movie industry, the film industry. I'm finding it very interesting. You'll find part two just as interesting, and you'll get to hear Vinny answer some uh, odd questions, as we always do. That's coming up next week, so make sure to tune in. Thank you for listening today. Uh, make sure to go check out Vinny's stuff on YouTube and everywhere. Womp Stomp Films is his company. It's uh, He's putting out a lot of great stuff so far, and I know he'll continue. He's on a roll forever. That's what, <laughs> that's what I think. Thank you for listening today. Make sure to check out the Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook accounts. Check out the Facebook group. That's what it's all about. That's where it's at. Go to oddpeoplepodcast.com for info about the show and to buy merchandise. I hope you tune in next time. Stay creative, stay inspired, and as always, stay odd. (laughs) 